Good morning, everyone. First, I think I in our new abode, finding out how it all works. Still. Uh, to give an, a title to this talk, um, called Buddha Nature is Organic. Um, background to it, I'm um, almost finished reading a book by um, a man called Yuval Noah Harari, who some of you may have heard of, who wrote a, a best-selling uh, book on the history of Homo sapiens, called Sapiens. And uh, a bit of background um, as a way of understanding his writing, apart from being a professional historian, he's also quite a dedicated Buddhist practitioner. And it says in his biography that he meditates for two hours every day. And he does a 30-day Goenka Vipassana retreat each year, so he's a fairly serious meditator. Mm -hmm. And you can see how, um, if you're a meditator, you can see how um, that experience probably influenced the way that he wrote this book. Um, because he seems to have a, quite a healthy distrust of all kind of ideologies. Um, you know, constructions of thought. And as we experienced and, had, and as, as he would experience from sitting in meditation so much, if you come into the body, come out of the disembodied constructions, abstract constructions of the mind, and you, you, you live in that biological, organic experience much more than this abstract experience in your, in your mind. Although you can call on it when you need to, but you're not living in that space. So you can see how that um, shapes his understanding of the history of humankind. Now, as it turns out, we're not a very nice animal when you look at it through the ages, but we're a very successful one. And probably the most, we are the most successful um, biological creature on this planet. But take you briefly through some of the revolutions that he sees human beings evolving through hunter-gatherers for thousands and thousands of years. And then we go through what he calls a cognitive revolution. And there was many different species of human beings, by the way. We weren't the only ones. There was Neanderthals and others. But for some reason, through some genetic mutation or whatever, our species, Homo sapiens, developed this ability to imagine realities and to have abstract thinking and, then, and to be able then communicate things much more efficiently, which meant that larger groups of people could organise themselves, you know, and a, a large group of human beings compared to animals or compared to Neanderthals who couldn't think that way going to become more powerful and so very very quickly our species took over the world took over and all the other Neanderthals and the other human species became extinct extinct fairly rapidly so it was it was through this ability that our particular species had to have abstract thinking and to communicate it made us um, evolutionary superior in a way to survive and then the next the next um, big um, evolutionary step is when we go from hunter-gatherers to 
the agricultural revolution, where instead of you know hunting foods and gathering foods to eat, we then create wheat fields, you know, and pen animals together, because it gives us one more of a security around our food source, and um, and a, and a sense of stability. And then out of that comes ownership of things. Right? Ownership of land, ownership of cattle, sheep, wheat, etc., and all the implements that go with it. Um, I'm doing a very brief, um, a very brief version of humankind here. But then the next big revolution is the one that we kind of are in, which is the scientific, industrial, technological revolution, where which started in Northern Europe, um, in particular. Um, at least from there, spread, you know, to all corners of the world. And um, that changed the way of human beings' life dramatically. So it's the life that we take for granted that we live now, but that's where we've come from. And one of the, the poignant kind of connections, which wasn't that long ago, only 250 years ago when Europeans arrived here, you know, not far from where we, we are now. An interaction happened between this, um, this uh, scientific, technologically advanced culture and a hunter-gatherer society that had been here for 40,000 years, had no need to change. And um, Harari believes in, in many ways, um, not that we could help it, it was just the way evolution went, but that human beings were probably much happier when they're hunters and gatherers. And once we shifted into the agricultural revolution, that's where all our woes began. And uh, I've read reports of um, um, European observations of Aboriginal people in the early days of, of um, settlement and how um, they noticed how confident they were and how good-humoured they were and how healthy they were. Um, so maybe there's something to it. But nevertheless, um, we're not hunters and gatherers. Um, we live a very, a very um, different kind of life. Um, that's, not our, that's not our milieu, it's not our experience. And we all grew up in, a, in an environment which was very much shaped by science and technology. And it's rapidly advanced more and more and more. I, I, I was amused at a thought I had actually around that when I was just reflecting on putting this talk together before. And uh, Bodhidharma, who in many ways is seen as the founder of Zen in, in China, um, he felt concerned about where his life was and needed to spiritually wake up and, and awaken out of this dream. So what does he do? He goes into a cave and he faces a wall, right? A blank wall, right? Like we face a blank wall today. How different that is from the experience that most people have today when they're staring at a screen. Mm -hmm. right? how, how completely opposite. A wall gives you no stimulation whatsoever. That's why we face the wall. This gadget in our hand is stimulating our brain. It's on steroids. Right? They're so different. 
aren't they? Technology has taken us so far that that way that it appeals to this abstract ability, uh, abstract quality that we have. Do you know where we're stimulated by words and um, pictures, images, ideas coming out of this screen all the time? Mm-hmm. And the more we're fixated on that, and the more we're fixated on the technology, the, the more removed we are from our organic nature. Many, um, in many different religions and in literature, references have made to how spirituality, if you want to call it that, your religion is connected to a love of nature and a, and a love of animals. Um, we go back to Christianity, the well-known statement about consider the lilies, how they grow. They do not labour, nor do they spin. But I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed as one of these. And also, you're getting in the poetry of people like um, Walt Whitman, the American poet, who, um, whose writing was so much resonated with sin. I think I could turn and live with animals. They are so placid and self-contained. I stand and look at them long and long. They do not sweat and whine about their condition. They do not lie awake in the dark and weep for their sins. They do not make me sick discussing their duty to God. No one is dissatisfied. No one is demented with the mania of owning things. Not one kneels to another, nor to his kind that lived thousands of years ago. No one is respectable or unhappy over the whole earth. And in the, um, in the poetry of, of Zen um, and the haiku poets, you see this, um, this not just connection to nature, but an empathy that grows with nature as we, as we sort of um, practice meditation and practice the Dharma. The cormorant fishing boat, how exciting. But after a time, I feel saddened. Or one of Issa's best known poems, Do not kill the fly. See how it wrings its hands. See how it wrings its feet. Another. I'm sorry my house is so small, but practice your jumping, please, Mr Flea. Mm-hmm. So this, this, this attention to out of abstract thinking, out of all of this um, ideology that so much drives um, human behaviour back to something which is very basic and organic. Now, like I said, with Bodhidharma um, facing the wall, it takes up a formal practice where he's inside and he's facing a blank screen and there's nothing coming back. And that's, that's the, a really good basis for his... Um, practice so that he's not distracted by anything. And we, we take that same practice up today 
in the, in the practice we do here, facing a wall. But what I want to say is one of the most, one of the important aspects, I think, of practice, there's the formal practice we do here in this room, and it's very important. But what is also important that I want you to encourage you to do and think of it as in practice in your everyday life, which in a sense is done in an informal way, is to spend as much time as you possibly can in natural surroundings. You know, bushwalking, you know, walking along the beach, um, being in a garden, looking, looking at the insects and the flowers and the grass, even just looking up at the sky and getting out of not just the screens, but the screen in our head as well, you know, the abstract thinking that we all go up into and to come back into this natural world. Because as I was saying in the title of this talk, Buddha nature is organic. In Taoism, the, it's the organic nature of things that we return to. The, the Chinese call it Wu Wei, the sort of organic patterning that you, that you just see in nature everywhere. Nothing's separate, everything's interconnected. I think the more that we immerse ourselves in natural surroundings um, is the more that we take on, on that, that organic nature, again, that we've lost touch with. Usually in, in thinking in psychology, we, in cognitive psychology, we talk about abstract thinking and concrete thinking, you know, and that human beings move beyond concrete thinking into abstract thinking. But is concrete really the best word to use for it? Mm -hmm. Concrete, little blocks, square blocks, you know, um, separate from one another that you build things with. That's not really, that, that word to me doesn't convey the interconnectedness and the richness which is there below the surface of abstract thought or what the experience would have been originally of being a hunter-gatherer. They were immersed in nature so they didn't see themselves as separate from it. Right? There's nothing concrete about it. It's organic. So in my mind, the opposite of abstract thinking is not concrete thinking, but organic thinking. Getting back to that, you know, when you sit, you just come back to experiencing the in and the out breath. You know, the pulse of your heart beating, the experience of body sensations coming and go, the flow of the stream of thoughts. Nothing concrete about it. Right? It's fluid. That's what we return to. The more we sit, and get out of this excessive thinking state, the more we immerse ourselves in nature, the more we return to this natural state of, of being. Um, I think I've mentioned before in a talk some time ago, um, when I was in my um, early 20s, um, I'd already had started a, a, a meditation practice and a yoga practice in my teenage years. Um, so this wasn't my first introduction to some kind of insight. Uh, so I've been doing that for many years. And then in my early 20s, I took LSD with some friends out in the countryside. And it, and it was a very um, moving experience. 
wasn't like hallucinations or anything, but it was a very um, deeply felt experience of um, being organic, you know, and, and just enjoying and appreciating the natural surroundings that were there. It was quite quite a, a, a deep and moving kind of experience, which I think um, changed me in some way. Um, and it was from there I decided not to take LSD again to have the experience again. But I was already going down the path of intending to take up Zen practice anyway. And when that experience happened, I thought, OK, well, I want to get there through natural means, not through drugs. Um, and then I remember very clearly when I came back from that weekend and I had to go to work in the city, is that um, the, the reaction of being in a, an environment in a city with tall buildings and square lines and trains and harbour bridges and traffic was kind of like, once that was overwhelming, um, it was just ugly. It was just extremely ugly and distasteful. And uh, I had this strong reaction between, you know, the desire to be in a natural world and this aversion to a, a technological world. I then had to realise I live in both and integrate them in some way. Um, but that, that experience stayed with me. And when I reflect back on years and years of doing Zen training, it's not, a, it's not a sudden leap into that experience, but it's a gradual dropping into that same kind of organic experience again. And I think that's just simply what we, we come back to. The more we sit, the more we get out of this abstract way of being, we just return to what is organic. And if you go, if for instance you, you walk through a forest or what's a good thing to do is stop walking and just sit there for a while and not be self-consciously mindful of observing the things around you, but more in a sense of merging with what is there. It's like you bring, you bring presence to the experience of being in the forest, not like there's me observing it, but just bringing presence to being part of it, you know, just being part of that experience and merging into that experience. And uh, it's a wonderful thing to do, to walk and then to stop, and then to walk and then to stop, and then to look around and to merge. And I, I, I'm sure the more you do that, like with meditation, the more that you... you drop back in to your, your original nature um, and live more from that experience. And of course you can go back into your occupation and your work and everything and you can go back up into abstract thinking, you know, when you need to and use it. It's a useful thing to have, but you don't live there. Um, and, and there's a desire to return back into this natural organic experience more and more and live there. So that's what I would encourage you to do as practice, to, to do, of course, to continue to do this formal practice and to do it together as a group. There's something that resonates together when we do it as a group. But in your own free time, um, please just enjoy 
um, being in natural setting, seek them out and, uh, and, and allow yourself to be merged back into it again. Okay.